Welcome to the Game Changers Podcast, where we connect trending evidence-based pharmacotherapy to your pharmacy and medicine practice. This week, Jeff Wall and Jake Galdo talk through one of the social determinants of health, food insecurity, and its impact on cardiovascular outcomes. Let's listen in. Uh, this week, uh, I like to welcome aboard my frequent co-pilot and the guy who really kind of keeps this uh, podcast going, uh, Jake Galdo from CE Impact. Jake, welcome. Hey, Jeff. Happy to be here. I appreciate uh, whenever Jake's here, and and, and uh, as, as always, like I said, he's the one who kind of uh, keeps the, the ball rolling here. I'm not sure we would be able to, to do much if it weren't for his expertise. So, um, And today we are going to be talking about a paper that just got released in JAMA uh, about a month and a half ago, September 28th, 2022. We're going to take a little bit of a left turn instead of talking about uh, uh, pharmacotherapy in particular. We're going to talk about food insecurity, which is certainly something that I think has, in the last 10 years, really garnered, I think, deservedly some more, more uh, uh, in, in for, uh, interest from uh, the, the medical world in general, and I think also uh, public health makers as well. This was a study, uh, again, that was published in JAMA that, that discussed food insecurity among individuals with cardiovascular disease and cardiometabolic risk factors across race and ethnicity uh, from the period of 1999 to 2018. And if you're saying to yourself, wow, that's a huge uh, a time peak point. Yeah, it is. Uh, 1999 is actually when I started at Drake, and, and this is my 23rd year there. So uh, yes, it's, it's, it's a long, long time. And I think the reason for that, of course, is to look at trends in, in food insecurity. And it probably isn't a surprise to listeners that uh, food insecurity uh, has gone up in the United States dramatically um, uh, since in that time period, particularly since the Great Recession of 2008. And uh, this is only 2018. Uh, uh, I, I, I shudder to think what, uh, what uh, food insecurity has occurred uh, since uh, the, the COVID pandemic. So a, again, an interesting paper and, and, and I think one definitely worth talking about. So uh, let's get into it. So, um, you know, as, a, as we're all aware, you know, some of the biggest things that affect our health, well, we have, we really unfortunately have a little influence on. So obviously genetics is something like that, but, but basically where we're born, where we work, uh, how we grow up and our age, which are kind of all kind of uh, globally defined as what are the, called the social determinants of health or SDOH, you know, obviously greatly, greatly influence health outcomes. I mean, I've often said that, you know, that in the, in the end, it's, it's, you know, who you were born to and your genetics and those fir early first developmental years that often really, you know, has an influence on whether you have a heart attack when you're 50 or whether you have a heart attack when you're 90, right? And one of the big social determinants of health, I think that that is, is garnering, said much more interest is, is food insecurity, which is defined as having limited or uncertain access to adequate food. Um, also, it, you know, it forces people to choose, you know, cheaper food that often doesn't have fruits and vegetables in it um, um, and, and uh, often is, is, is uh, you know, high in fat, high in, in calorie content, um, and uh, also has a lot of things like high fructose uh, corn syrup in it and stuff like that, which we know all can increase the risk for developing cardiovascular disease. And so, you know, it, they... The, the thought, the theory is, and I think there's evidence to, to, to support this, that individual food insecurity just have poor, poor dietary quality, uh, including lower intake of fruits and vegetables. They also um, are probably less likely to adhere to their medications because, you know, if you are struggling to put food on the table, something tells me that you're probably, you know, not going to be able to afford even relatively inexpensive medications as well. So anyway, we know that, that food security is associated with uh, cardiovascular disease, and it also increases the risk of a variety of cardiometabolic 
metabolic risk factors, uh, the development of diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and dyslipidemia. And again, it's, it's worth noting because I've heard I've heard pundits over the years say, you know, well, how can we possibly have a, a, a food insecurity problem in the United States when the majority of, of patients who live below the poverty line are often obese? And, and the point is not that that often they can't get food. I mean, I mean, many times they can get food, many times they can't, but it forces them to get food that is cheap and easy to make because they're often working multiple jobs that, you know, and, and so they don't have time to go to whole foods, shall we say, um, they, they're really getting, a, 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 you know, high uh, calorie, high fat foods that are, tends to be relatively inexpensive and mass produced. And so because of all those things, uh, you know, even though patients may have a have food insecurity, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're underweight. And I think that's, that's an important thing to discuss. So uh, a study called the US Burden of Disease Collaborators actually found that diet is one of the greatest contributors to death from cardiovascular disease. And, and this study suggested that more than 400,000 deaths in 2016 could be attributable to uh, diet and cardiovascular disease was responsible for that. So um, uh, again, individuals experiencing food insecurity uh, often have a greater burden of diet-related cardiovascular disease. And uh, in addition to poor adherence to prescription medications, um, uh, there's, there's uh, some data to suggest that they have a heightened stress response, which may increase in inflammation. And again, in, uh, uh, um, uh, arterial inflammation inflammation that may lead to the development of, of cardiovascular disease. So uh, the paper notes that after the Great Recession of 2008, uh, food insecurity doubled in the United States from 9.1% in 2005 to 18.3%. So again, one in five Americans in uh, 2005. And as you might expect, um, there's a, a racial connection, unfortunately, where it tends to be higher among non-Hispanic Black, Mexican-American, and other Hispanic adults uh, than non-Hispanic white uh, adults, unfortunately. So um, so what did this study do? This study took data from the NHANES study. And for those of you who, who are aware of the um, acronym, basically the NHANES study, uh, it stands for National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. It is a gigantic survey study that is continually ongoing and has been ongoing, I think, since the middle 1990s, that helps us give a snapshot of a wide variety of disease states and uh, health factors in, in the patients that, that, that they give the survey to. And it's been used for, for, for many different uh, uh, disease states analyses, um, you know, in gout and in hypertension and dyslipidemia, uh, diabetes, all sorts of, of investigators have, have pulled data from the NHANES surveys to kind of take a look at, at various and sundry uh, disease states in Americans, as well as various and sundry socioeconomic factors that may lead to them. So that's what this group did. Basically, they took the NHANES data uh, to provide an updated prevalence of food insecurity among individuals diagnosed cardiovascular disease or the risk factors, diabetes, uh, dyslipidemia, and hypertension. They also also sought to understand if inequitable distribution of food insecurity among those with cardiovascular disease or these risk factors has persisted among racial and ethnic groups and how these trends have changed after the 2008 economic recession. So this was a sectional cross, uh, serial cross-sectional study. Again, kind of a, a, a took a slice of the NHANES uh, data from 1999 to 2018 to define the prevalence of food security among those with and without cardiovascular disease and risk factors of interest. Uh, the NHANES data, again, is, is continued uh, collecting continuously. They target uh, patients in a wide variety of, of socioeconomic uh, circumstances and various disease states and have them per complete a survey uh, that really answers a whole bunch of things about their health. Uh, it's a four-stage cluster sampling design that has been used, again, for, for over 25 years now. Uh, participants complete personal and household questionnaires uh, and then receive, receive a health examination in a mobile examination center. So it isn't all subjective. They do have some objective measures that they can put in, in the NHANES data 
data set. So uh, they looked at all adult patients uh, with non-missing uh, data in that time period uh, on food security. The primary income of interest in this uh, uh, study was, again, food security among U.S. adults who had cardiovascular disease or cardiometabolic risk factors. Uh, food insecurity uh, is, is assessed in the NHANES survey uh, using the U.S. Department of Agriculture Adult Food Security Survey mo module, uh, which includes 10 questions about uh, uh, food safety. Some of those questions include, you know, I am worried whether food will run out before I have the money to buy more. Uh, the food I bought uh, doesn't last and, and uh, we don't have enough money to get more food. I don't, can't afford to eat balanced meals. Uh, adult, I, the adults in my household often cut size or skip meals. Um, I'm hungry, but I can't afford to eat. Uh, things along those lines. And there's kind of a, you know, Likert scale sort of, you know, responses are true, yes, no, often true, sometimes true, stuff like that. So that's that's basically it's a 10 question survey that that has been validated by the USDA to help uh, assess uh, food insecurity, basically. Um, so taking a look at at the uh, population. Population characteristics, population characteristics of, they looked at about 58,000 patients during this time period. Uh, again, in non-institutionalized adults who completed the NHANES survey. Average age was about the same, um, about 46 years old, with about half of, of respondents being female. As far as the uh, ethnic category, about 70% of patients across the board were assessed for, for it. When they take a look at the entire sample, again, those who had food insecurity versus those who, those who did not have food security, it unfortunately isn't very surprising to learn that uh, patients who, when we look at racial differences, patients who had uh, food insecurity was significantly higher among uh, Hispanic patients, non-Hispanic Black patients, and other patients. And, and, and the numbers were, were actually pretty striking, uh, just again, across the board, uh, patients who had food insecurity and uh, uh, listed themselves as Hispanic, uh, who had, was 27.7% of the sample. So again, you know, a quarter of the patients versus 12% of patients who had no food insecurity. Uh, in uh, Black patients, it was 18 percent who had food insecurity compared to 10 percent who did not. And again, race doesn't account for all of this because uh, when they looked at food insecurity, 48 percent of their sample uh, said they, in, in uh, non-Hispanic white patients, said they had food insecurity. Uh, so, I mean, again, that tells you that, that it, you know, this is basically across the board, um, but, but certainly higher in, uh, relatively higher in patients who are, are uh, who list themselves as non-white. Participation in the SNAP program, which is of course, the federal program to help uh, get food to patients, uh, again, has probably not a big surprise, was, was used by 25% of patients who had food insecurity compared to only 5% of patients who did not. And uh, again, probably not a big surprise, uh, patients who were living below the federal poverty line, if they had food insecurity, it was about 40% of them compared to only 11% who had no uh, food insecurity. Um, then taking a look again, this entire uh, cohort um, had either cardiovascular disease or cardiovascular uh, risk factors, about 12% uh, of patients in the food insecurity group had cardiovascular disease compared to only 7% of patients who did not, uh, looking at, at uh, uh, the various and sundry cardiometabolic risk factors. The numbers actually uh, really weren't tremendously higher, but they were definitely higher across the board in patients with food insecurity, and that it included patients with hypertension. About half of those patients had food insecurity compared to about half who did not. Obesity, again, uh, highlighting what I said earlier, about 40% of patients who had food insecurity had obesity compared to 30% who did not. Diabetes was higher in the food insecurity group, and so was uh, dyslipidemia, and those were all statistics 
statistically significant. So uh, the bottom line, um, yeah, when they when they took a look across the board, was that uh, um, among individuals, the prevalence of food insecurity was lower in the uh, 1999 to 2000 period than the 2017 to 2018 period uh, for these patients who had cardiovascular disease. And the overall prevalence of food insecurity uh, in, in the latter half of the survey, 2017 to 2018, was 41.3 percent of patients. So again, patients who had known cardiovascular disease, uh, almost half of them had food insecurity, which uh, again is one of the uh, potent uh, social determinant of health, and I'm sure leads to non-adherence non to medication, non-access to healthcare, things along those lines. They, when they broke down individual components of cardiovascular disease, they found that it was much higher in patients who had MIs, much pressure in patients who had stroke, and much higher than patients who had heart failure. So across the board, uh, patients with uh, individual cardiovascular diseases, you were much more likely to have food insecurity than, than not. The changing prevalence in food insecurity was similar in magnitude uh, among patients uh, with and without cardiovascular disease and stroke, uh, but in heart failure, the magnitude of change was actually greater um, in those without cardiovascular disease than among those without cardiovascular disease, basically. Um, the prevalence of food insecurity, again, as we've noted, was higher among Black patients and Hispanic adults than Asians and white patients just across the board. And again, if you look across the board, about 18.2% of patients who listed themselves as Black had a food insecurity. 24% of Hispanic adults listed them uh, had food insecurity compared to 8% of Asians and 8.5% of white adults. And again, they significantly went up during this time period. So that's kind of the results of the study. And, and the authors, you know, note in the discussion that they confirm that food insecurity dis, dis, disproportionately affects uh, patients with racial and ethnic minority groups, that overall food insecurity is far higher in patients with, with uh, in patients with cardiovascular disease, food insecurity is far higher, it's far higher uh, prevalence. Um, and in those who had cardiovascular risk factors, food insecurity was, was far higher than, than, than those who did not. And they just highlight in, in the discussion that this is, is a power Powerful effect, uh, powerful determinant, social determinant of health on, on cardiovascular disease and probably vice versa. They note that, that of course, this is probably a bi-directional uh, relationship. So again, you know, this is as, as with all these types of studies, we're not proving uh, causation, but correlation. And they find that, that the correlation may go both ways. Uh, you know, food security likely increases risk of cardiovascular disease and then cardiovascular disease itself affects socioeconomic risk factors and increase risk for food insecurity. They note that SNAP decreases in food, uh, decreases food insecurity and actually is associated with higher prescription drug adherence and lower medical costs and hospitalizations again probably because people can afford food they can probably afford uh, to see their doctor they can probably afford uh, some of their prescription medications as well so bottom line of the study is is again this wasn't designed to be a you know a big comparative trial or anything like that but basically just noting that since 1999 and again remember this only goes to 2018 one would have to assume these numbers are worse after the pandemic um, but but uh, since uh, 1999 the incidence of food insecurity has dramatically risen across the board uh, in patients with cardiovascular disease or risk factors for cardiovascular disease, um, and, and and now affects again, you know, up to 50% of patients with, with these two cardiovascular disease or risk factors, and that uh, there's a disproportionate increase across different uh, ethnic subgroups, unfortunately. So that's a lot of information to kind of unpack and to help me do that. Jake Galdo, I appreciate him being on board. We're going to talk with him right after this message from CE Impact. Social determinants of health can have a big impact on the health of our patients. CE Impact's Community Health Worker Training certifies pharmacy technicians to help patients get access to services that can improve their health. Check out the show notes or go to ceimpact.com to learn more. 
So we're back talking about a paper that was published in JAM about, about a month and a half ago, looking at the social determinant of health known as food insecurity in patients with cardiovascular disease and, and cardiovascular risk factors, and found that it was just way high across the board and disproportionately high in, in, in non-white patients. So Jake Galdo, again, welcome back to the show. And you've, I know, read this study, and this is a, a, a play, a, a area of great interest to you is social determinants of health. So what do you think about this study and kind of its pros and cons? I think the study is fantastic because it's raising awareness for something that we need to be doing as clinicians. And I think it's very poignant. You know, Jeff, we get feedback sometimes that, that we might be a little too community focused or ambulatory care in some of the topics that we do. And so we try to, to be mindful of our full audience. And so we might have some health system practitioners saying, cool, this is interesting. It is impactful. This is important, but I'm in the health system. It doesn't, doesn't really affect me too much. And, and that's not right, actually. So in, in January of this, in 2023, uh, the Joint Commission is actually rolling out a new health equity standard. And we're going to have to document race, ethnicity, language status, disability status, and social determinants of health on every single patient that the Joint Commission has purview over. And so we're talking about health systems, ambulatory care clinics, dialysis centers, like all of these places that, that follow Joint Commission accreditation will now have to follow with this the health equity standard. So this is, this is huge. It's really, really big. And it's, it's raising awareness to the importance of it. And so then the question is, all right, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to document this stuff. Well, how do I document it? Right. Uh, there's a subtype of ICD code called Z codes. Um, so these are your, your classification diagnosis codes, but they're called Z codes. And Z codes are uh, documented social determinant of health findings. Uh, and they're really, really important. They are underutilized in the healthcare system, but this is how we can identify persons that are facing challenges in social determinants of health. And so it's really imperative that we start to document Z codes. Z59 is problems related to housing and economic circumstances. And specifically, Z59.4 is lack of adequate food and safe drinking water. And I think that this one's the one that we need to talk about for today's topic, because this is the Z code, Z59.4, that we need to be documenting in our patient care visits when we identify lack of adequate food and safe drinking water. Everything we've talked about today has been about food and security, and I would be remiss not to highlight safe drinking water. Um, you know, we, we can go back a couple of years to the Flint, Michigan water crisis, and that's not an anomaly. That's kind of the norm, which is really unfortunate, but we don't talk about it. So, so safe drinking water is something that's just as important. Food insecurity is defined as the disruption of food intake or eating patterns because of lack of money or other resources. So this is not necessarily being hungry or hangry. It is literally not having um, the, it's the disruption of food intake and eating patterns because we can't, we can't afford it. And in the study, they use two screening questions where actually those screening questions are recommended by the CMS. AAFP and a PREPARE, which is a, a standardized SCH screening tool, which is in the past 12 months, um, have you been worried that your food would run out before you could get money to buy more? And that's often true, sometimes true, or never true. And within the past 12 months, the food you bought just didn't last and you didn't have money to get more. Often true, sometimes true, never true. And so 
you know, we look at this Joint Commission Health Equity Standard, we need to start to recognize and screening patients for food insecurity. We can document, we can do the screening with those two questions, just asking about if they run out of food or don't have enough money for food. We document it with Z code Z59.4. And so that's us doing everything in the healthcare system. I think that that's how we started. That's what this, like the thesis of this article was, is that we need to start documenting it. What's then scary, and that's the, the hard part, is what's next? How do we refer? If we find discoverable information, what do we need to do with it? And from a local perspective, one of the best things we can do is know about our community health workers in our communities. They can be located in clinics, in federally qualified health centers, and even in pharmacies. So let's work with local CHWs who know of all the resources in the community to help patients. Those CHWs might help patients get on SNAP. Uh, they might know about the local churches that can offer food. You know, we were teaching about this uh, Tuesday night in our CHW course, and I asked everybody if they've ever been to their local Sikh uh, temple. And a lot of people have never really heard of that. The, in the, the, the Sikh faith, they provide food after every service for anyone. And so I think that that's a great resource to recognize is that there are many religious institutes that will offer out food for free. So when we think about food, addressing food insecurity, it's not just always go to the food bank or the food pantry. Right. Like we can also reach out to local religious institutes and they actually might have resources available uh, for people as well. And here in Des Moines, we actually um, um, had have a pilot program going on, and I, the only reason I know this is because uh, a friend of mine is is actually uh, working with it, where um, they, uh, some of the uh, local co-op uh, farmers who make you know fruits and vegetables will actually uh, uh, have have gotten a grant to basically send essentially food boxes, boxes of of, of vegetables and fruits to selected patients uh, uh, that, uh, and this is in in one of our low income areas uh, that has a free clinic. Through this free clinic, they can actually. Get a box, a literal box of of, of uh, good fruits and fruits and vegetables with um, uh, recipes, you know, inside as well. And the, the, there is an ongoing study where they're trying to take a look at, you know, will that have an impact in things like hemoglobin H1C or uh, LDL levels or you know things along those lines. So it'll be kind of fascinating to see what happens with with those sort of of, of uh, individual pro pilot programs that you know, again, I think both public and private uh, uh, um, entities can kind of fund. Um, I, it does surprise me about the the Joint Commission. I mean, you know, having been a, a hospital pharmacist for my entire, almost my entire career, um, you know, again, you, 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 sometimes we joke that you never know what the Joint Commission is going to, you know, basically take a look at next. And and I had no idea before you'd mentioned this, uh, when we were talking before we started recording, that that was going to be a Joint Commission requirement. And that, that just strikes me as, as a huge um, uh, ask of, of, of healthcare professionals, but I think it's certainly needed because as, as this study points out and other studies points out that, you know, you can give people all the medications in the world, but if they can't afford to eat, they certainly can't afford to, to fill their prescriptions. Well, and I think that this is where we, we recognize that the healthcare team is more than just the prescribers, the pharmacists, the nurses. It is our social work. It is our community health workers. And those are the individuals that can be in those patient rooms and sometimes ask these tough questions. You know, right. no patient is probably going to want to admit to their pharmacist or their physician that they didn't have enough money for food. Right. Right. It's, it's, in, it's embarrassing and, and it's sad. Um, the situation, not the, not the person. And so, right. you know, having someone that speaks like them, look like them, a community health worker that lives 
like them in their community asking some of these questions, we can we can find this information out more readily. And community health workers and social workers are able to document in the chart these Z codes, uh, which are then billable codes. Like we're able to to kind of identify and and work through that. You know, the the other thing I'd point out from a policy perspective. Uh, and, and this has been hitting the news recently, so I think it's important to just touch upon, is school children and food, access to food. When we think about food insecurity and everything that we've talked about here, we're talking about a, a 20 plus year study uh, for people with chronic medical conditions. So we inherently think about the, the older person, the adult, the older adult, things like that. But food insecurity affects children as well. And there are a lot of school systems where they, they ran up out of their COVID funding and they no longer have free food for children. And so I think that that's a huge barrier that we have to look at. So if we have pediatric patients in our practice, this is another area for us to be mindful of. And I think knowing that we're going to have this standard that the, we're gonna to have to document and track this information, I think the thing that we can do now, our practical advice for everybody listening is get into your community and find those resources where you can refer patients. Because right. the worst thing that we we have is is having to ask this question because of a, a requirement, a standard, right? right? And then not having an answer for it. And it's going to make us feel bad. It's going to make patients feel bad. So let's start with finding those resources so that we have a solution to offer our patients. Right. I mean, again, yeah, I, I, th I think that the attitude, you know, again, you know, at, you know, there's, I'm sure there's going to be some cynical healthcare workers who are like terrific and another, another, you know, hoop to jump through uh, courtesy of, of the joint commission. But I think that, you know, this study definitely shows that, that, um, you know, the, this isn't some, you know, some bureaucratic thing that we just need to, to check just to, to look good in front of the joint commission. But the bottom line is this has actual real impact on, on patients when they have food insecurity. And so it, you know, just basically, you know, checking a box saying, yep, well, too bad. I guess you have food insecurity. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that, that you know, that, that certainly doesn't help anybody. And, and so having, you know, some, and, and I think this is going to be down to health systems in particular, especially smaller health systems. It's going to be down to, to looking at the resources that there's no way they're going to be able to provide. Right. I mean, you know, again, most health systems aren't going to be able to have some sort of regular way to give uh, uh, patients food. So, I mean, is there a way to get them on snap? Is there a way to, as you said, connect them with community resources? Is there a way to get them into some of these, you know, free pilot programs, you know, that, that, that try to not only give patients food, but give them, you know, nutritious food that they can, that they, you know, shows them how to cook it in the whole nine yards. So I, yeah, I think, I think, you know, I agree with you. I think it's, it's easy to become, become a bit cynical about that sort of stuff, but I think this is, uh, the evidence is pretty clear that, that, that there's something we need to do about this. And, and, you know, we can probably do more for our patients with food insecurity by helping them get out of food insecurity than all the, all the statins and, and antihypertensives we can throw at them. So. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Any, la any last minute thoughts, Jake? Um, I think the, the biggest thing is just recognize that this is going to happen to people that, that you might assume, and it might happen to people that you don't assume it's happening to. And the best thing that we can do is be standardized in how we ask that question and, and help connect patients to the resources to help them. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's been, it's been, it's often been said that, that uh, food insecurity is, is basically one uh, uh, major medical problem away for most American families. So unless you're Bill Gates or something or Bruce Wayne, uh, you know, all it takes is, is one catastrophic uh, health problem in a, in a family of four for them to, to unfortunately find themselves in, in real trouble. So yeah, this isn't just, uh, you know, the usual suspects, you know, food insecurity can affect a lot of people and it's, it's the people you might think, and it's also the people you might not think so well thanks jake for, for for being on we really appreciate it thanks for having me jeff and i'm nope. glad we were able to talk about this topic
me too. So anyway, that's it for this uh, edition of Game Changers. Again, thanks for listening. Uh, hit that like and subscribe button. We will see you next week. But until then, remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. We'll see you then. Don't forget to claim your CE for today's episode. Please subscribe for all episodes and tune in next week for another clinical practice game changer.